You're listening to the Redemption City Church podcast. To learn more about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Hey guys, if you're new with us uh, this morning, uh, or you know we've been going through the book of Exodus, we've been uh, mining uh, gold or gospel gold through the book of Exodus uh, every week, and it's been really beautiful. And uh, after uh, today, we're actually going to take a break for about two months from the book of Exodus uh, to go into an Advent series. Who's pumped for the season of Advent, Christmas time? Very excited. Um, And so, yeah, we're going to be doing a series. uh, One of our church playing residents, Andrew, is going to kick us off next week on a series that's just called um, Songs of Expectation. And really what that is, is it's just taking different psalms in the Bible and, and uh, that they're expecting, look, looking forward to, highlighting the coming of the Messiah that we celebrate. And so I'm going to be really excited uh, to start celebrating with you that next uh, Sunday. But today, we're in Exodus, and we're uh, finishing up or, or taking a break in our time of Exodus after today, focusing on Exodus 18, which you just heard some of the chapter Read. And so if, uh, if you do have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up there as we kind of work through the text. And um, in Exodus 18, what we've seen going along is that God is saving Israel, the nation of Israel, but not just, he's not just emancipating them from Egyptian slavery just so they can be free to mingle about however they wish. He's, he's, he's actually um, redeeming them to, to do something with them, to, to mold them, to shape them, to, uh, to set them apart for a special purpose. And it's been so compelling for us now because we as the, the people of God, His redeemed people now, His church now, that's what He's doing from us, for us. He's emancipating us from the slavery of our sin, but He isn't done there. He doesn't just say, hey, mingle about and uh, I'll see you in heaven later. He says He's re- redeemed us to mold us and to shape us, to sand us down our, our, our rough edges, changing us to be unique people for His unique purpose in the world. That's why uh, the Apostle Paul calls the church the household of God in 1 Timothy 3. And, and I love this household, like family language that God uses to describe the church. It makes me think of, I, I'm going uh, to make a move that's against my convictions. I'm going to mention Christmas, a Christmas movie before it's Christmas season. We're in Thanksgiving season now, right? right? No, and I'm very adamant in my house, there's no Christmas stuff until after Thanksgiving. But I'm going to mention a Christmas movie really quick. Um, my favorite Christmas movie is probably Home Alone, the first one. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That, it's between that and Elf. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but um, in, in uh, Home Alone, uh, Macaulay Culkin or, or Kevin, he, he's, he's walking home. He's getting ready to do like battle with the wet bandits that are going to invade his house, right? And he is alone. He's missing his family. He's cold. He's walking in the snow and he stops and he looks at this picture. He looks longingly at this picture. And it's a picture of this huge family gathered in this really warm living room uh, around a Christmas tree, around a meal, around a fire. You can just tell it. It's just like a picture of warmth and enjoyment and care and growth. And, and, you just, and, then, and then it goes back to Kevin. And he's just like standing outside like, like this, just like longingly wanting to, to go in, longing a family uh, in warmth like that. And, and really... I, do, I think the church, the, the household of God that we're a part of, is meant to be this warm family picture. This warm, uh, being warmed by God's presence and being a deep transformative community of enjoyment of one another. And that picture is actually meant to create a longing for others to, to want to long to be a part of it too. And man, I, I, um, 
I'm really biased, but I really love this church. And I feel like we see a lot of this all the time. One of the most frequent comments I hear about our church is just the, how much the community, the people have transformed or changed me. Um, one, of, one of our members, uh, Leader Cherie, recently said, uh, for the first time, it feels like uh, being at RCC that I've been seen and known and deeply loved and changed through God's people. Uh, one of our members who, who left uh, recently, who was such a joy, and, and her name was Joy, um, uh, she, she emailed me recently and just said, just in thankfulness, because she said that the members here renewed her confidence in the Lord's everlasting faithfulness and brought her through a season of, of healing. Um, I, I've seen story after story of people being changed by the community in the church here, by the warmth it has. I actually know that because a lot of times you're, you're, you're like, your parents or your family will visit and be like, what is going on here that my son, my daughter, my sister, my brother is so changed? Um, by the time here. And really, I'm so grateful to Jesus because it's not really us, it's, it's Him. It's His presence dwelling in His people. And uh, man, we haven't made it, we haven't arrived, we still have a lot of growth to do. But in, in that text today, hopefully, it's going to help us focus in on a couple of these areas. The text today, you're going to see a picture of the church that doesn't really happen, this warm picture that we want to be a part of that I just described. It's not accidental, it's not unintentional. And it's not just a few people leading it. Uh, the picture of warmth and enjoyment is actually a whole family endeavor that I want you to feel invited into today. And so just the big, the big idea that I'd love for you to get today, uh, friends, is that, um, man, you have a role in God's home, in God's house, in God's family. And, and, and the text today is going to focus on two areas. One, we have a role in showing the path to God's house, to the outsider. And, and two, uh, we have a role sharing the work in God's house together. So uh, we're going to split it up, and we're going to do a little like surprise interview in the middle to mix it up. So get uh, pumped for that. Um, but the first one is showing the path to the house, showing outsiders a path to the house. So chapter 18 is about this guy Jethro, who is an, just, this is an awesome story. Uh, the story of Jethro is miraculous for at least two reasons. One, uh, Moses gets advice from his father-in-law. He actually humbly listens and obeys it. I think that is miraculous in itself, if you know uh, in-law relationships can be a little bit dicey. Uh, but more than that, Jethro is a convert from another religion to be a worshiper of God. And the story that you just heard Amy so eloquently say and read up here, it, it, it goes out of its way to take the focus off of Moses being reunited with his family. I think that's where we would put the focus, right? With, Hallmark, with like the Hallmark movie, reunited with the family, warm music, tears, oh, miss you so much. Um, but, but it zooms in on kind of who we would think would be in the background, Jethro, the father-in-law, right? Why does it do that? God zooms in on Jethro because this is the first recorded story of someone outside of Israel becoming a worshiper of God, of Yahweh. Jethro, he's, he's a priest of another religion. Uh, it says he's a Midianite priest. So this would, uh, in modern-day context, this might be like a Muslim imam or a Hindu priest coming into our gathering today and turning their life upside down to go start following Jesus. Um, it might be like a hunter going vegan, or maybe it would be like imam becoming a tea person from a coffee person. Uh, maybe it would be like a dog person going and coming home with 10 cats. Um, it just, it's a total transformation, a total conversion. And the story is zooming in to show us God's heart, that God wants to have a well-worn, a well-traveled path of Jethro's, of outsiders coming into his house, his church. If we're rightly pursuing God, friends, and we're rightly being his, house, his, uh, 
will rightly be in his house. Outsiders will be regularly welcomed in. If we have proper worship inside, then that's going to go hand in hand with conversion, people coming in from the outside. I love what Leslie Newbigin says about mission and about the church. He says, when the church ceases to be a missionary, it contradicts its own nature. And so we're meant to be a home that's inviting, that's missionary, because God is a go out and get them, go out and seek them, a missionary God. We want to mirror his heart. And so Jethro has a path into God's people, into God's house. And you'll actually, in the text, I want to just show you three kind of waypoints, three things that help guide him along the way to come to be a worshiper of God. And what I want you to see is that God actually, Christian, is going to place you, wants to place you in similar ways along people's pathway to guide them to the house of God, to Jesus' house, to Jesus' church, and to know him. So, make sense? Three points along the pathway. First one is showing extravagant care and honor. Showing extravagant care and honor. So Jethro sends word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, I'm coming to you with your wife and your two sons. So, uh, put yourself in Moses' Birkenstocks, sandals, Crocs, whatever he's wearing for a second. Moses has plenty on his plate. He's the sole leader of over a million people. We'll get to that in a minute, in a few minutes. He's stressed. He's busy. He hasn't seen his family in a long time. And for most of us, I think our father-in-law is not at the top of our priority list to go out and, and meet and give a big hug to and focus on, right? Um, for me, I think the father-in-law would be a little bit down the list. I hope my father-in-law is not watching this sermon. Um, <clears throat> um, but look at Moses' care that he says here in verse 7. He says, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed and kissed him. And they actually uh, they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. So a few quick things here. Moses goes out to meet him. If you're, if you're a leader of a million people in this culture, the people come to you. You're a big deal. They come into my comfy tent. I'm not going to go out to you. I'm the one. I'm the big deal here. But Moses lays aside his position, his convenience, his honor. He goes out to meet Jethro, showing him honor. And this says Moses went out and he bowed and kissed him. Um, I would dare someone, tell me a story to maybe treat your in-laws this way. Give them a bow and a kiss this holiday season. Uh, and see how that goes. Or maybe the crazy aunt and uncle, let me know how that goes. But really, in this culture, this is deep care, deep affection uh, that's going above and beyond. And lastly, they go into Moses' tent and like have a coffee, due date, uh, catch up. And it says they ask each other of their welfare. They, they, Moses cares deeply about his father-in-law, how he was, his life, his circumstances. He puts an energy to ask about his life. Now, this is deep care. This is, I think, extravagant care and honor um, but it's also ordinary, but it's, a, it, it's, it's extravagant for a couple of reasons. I get to do a lot of marriage counseling, and, um, which is a blessing. And, you know, I, I did a little research, but the top three, there are three areas that marriage, marriages generally struggle with. And do you know which one is at the top of the list? Any guesses? Anybody? What was that? Uh, that's up there. Um, anybody else? In-laws. Yes, in-laws at the top of the list. Speaking from experience? <laughs> Talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> yes, in-laws. Money's up there, and I'll let you guess the third one. But um, in-laws is a, a really con naturally contentious relationship. Moses goes out to honor, to respect, to show love to Jethro. But more importantly, this is why it's miraculous, or it's extravagant. Jethro is an, an outsider of the family of God. 
If Jethro were checking demographic boxes, they're all different than Moses, right? He's a different uh, ethnicity. He's a different religion. He's from a different place. Um, but, but, uh, but Moses goes out of his way. In that Home Alone picture, it would be like uh, having someone run out of the house saying, Kevin, come into the house. I don't even know you. You're not my family. Um, we're from a different place and people and language, but, but come into this family, this warm family picture. And friends, this is how we show extraordinary but ordinary um, uh, acts of kindness and care outside, to those outside of Jesus, the path to the house. We, we can lay aside our preferences and our convenience for people. We, we can deeply honor them, showing them warm affection. Uh, we intentionally care about the, uh, the way they, their well-being in costly ways. And, and there are like a thousand different ways we can do this. On Sundays, it can mean... If you've been here for a while and you know some people, it's really easy to want to come here and say, man, where are my people? And you guys know when someone walks in, and, you're, and so we have some new people here, um, every, every new person is this way. You walk in, and you just have the look of a new person. Like, you don't know anybody. You guys know the look, right? Someone to talk to me. Where's the coffee? Where's the worship space? This is a weird, does not look like a church building, like, right? To see those people and say, man, I am so, I want to, I want to come, I'm not waiting for them to come to me. I'm going to come to them and show them honor and care and warmth. I don't know anything about them, but I want to show them care and honor and warmth. Uh, maybe it's taking really deep interest in your neighbor, your coworker's life, um, sacrificing your time to actually ask really good questions and then do something really surprising. Listen. Uh, maybe it's inviting someone into your, that's not your family, into your home for this holiday. Uh, one of the best examples I've seen was, was from my wife, actually. We had someone that um, totaled our car right outside our place, and I wasn't home, and, and uh, she and and a friend just invited in this person from, from outside totaling the car and just had tea and talked for three hours, asked about her life. And that was so um, compelling to her that she's now uh, in our church. Um, that was her first kind of step in the pathway, right? And as we do this, it's not really about us, friends, but it really is just about giving people a little, a little taste, a, a little um, whiff of the extravagant care and honor that Jesus shows outsiders, right? We just want to resemble his heart because Jesus left, like Moses, but better than Moses, Jesus left his tent, he left his throne to come meet us where we are, to come meet us in our neighborhood, as it were. That's what John uh, says in the message translation. Jesus, be, God became flesh to move into our neighborhood. Uh, Jesus shows the heart of God. He comes out to warmly embrace us as prodigals. Uh, Moses bowed uh, in honor. The Son of God came and bowed down to wash the feet of his followers. And so when we when we get, when we believe that this is how Jesus has treated us as outsiders, we're going to want to do it to others, right? And, and I, I'll be the first one to say, I, I forget this all the time. In, in, the, in the busyness of life, in, in the wanting my own comfort, um, forgetting that this is how Jesus has treated me, um, man, someone, so I, I, I meet someone's different than me, or I see someone's different, way different in, in Christian, we can forget this, and we don't welcome, welcome them as warmly because they're very different than us. Um, maybe, maybe you never have had a non-Christian in your home or around your dinner table. Uh, maybe uh, a lot of Christians are, I think, I think miss on this or, or uh, don't do well here is that there's, there's certain people that are living more obvious lifestyles that, that seem to contradict the Bible. We don't show them warmth and honor because they're living a life that is different than us. And you know one of my favorite accusations about Jesus that religious people said? They said, man, look at that guy, Jesus. He hangs out with the tax collectors and the sinners, the, the people that are obviously not following God. He actually honors them and, and, and shows warmth and, and care for them. 
I mean, I, I pray that would be the same, the same true thing of us, that we would show uh, honor and care to messy people. That's number one. We show care and honor. Uh, two, we share your story of miraculous deliverance. I, I love this one because this has been such a, a huge part of my life and others. We get a little peek into what conversation Moses and Jethro have in their tent time. It says in uh, Exodus 18.8, then Moses told his father-in-law all the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them and how the Lord had delivered them. So I love trying to picture this, this scene of Moses and Jethro. And Moses just trying to articulate, probably it would take hours to articulate everything we've gone through in Exodus of how God delivered this nation of over a million people from this world power. Like, man, we, we had so many years of bondage and God finally brought us out, or we were poor, we had nothing, and, and God plundered the Egyptians and gave us all this wealth, or man, we, were, we went to the Red Sea, we were as good as dead because the, the deadliest army in the world was after us, but God opened the Red Sea and we escaped, and on and on and on. And all of that, I can guarantee you, we, Moses was not like the hero, the focal point of the story. I, I can guarantee you he was probably not like, oh yeah, and then uh, I raised my staff and we did this, and, and, and I did the plagues, and I did this. He, just, he was not the hero of his story. He was the, the canvas to display the painting of God's miraculous work. And he was just sharing about what happened, about, yeah, testifying to that. And what Moses does here, actually, I think is one of the most powerful things that you and I can do to show people the path to Jesus. And it's just sharing your personal story of deliverance. It's what Moses does here. Uh, the way that I like to say it here at RCC is sharing your testimony with Jesus as the hero and that's something that, I, honestly, I want everyone in our church that's a Christian to be able to do. Uh, there's so many advantages to this. Let me just give you a few. And I've seen this over and over again as I've gotten to share my story with people with Jesus as the hero. Um, our culture validates personal experience and personal story more than any other metric of truth right now. Um, you can say a theological truth about Jesus, and you'll get lots of people pushing back. If you say just uh, about how Jesus has changed your life, given you joy and peace, um, people will listen. Uh, they'll, they'll listen in a way they, they would not otherwise. Your, your testimony is so powerful to people that love you. If someone loves and cares about you, they, they love the things that you prioritize. They love the things that, they love to hear about the things that you love, right? And, and thirdly, your testimony helps put flesh on the gospel. I, people can go to church and hear the message of the gospel. They can hear about how the gospel gives, uh, Jesus gives freedom from sin and joy in our circumstances and, and a peace that surpasses understanding. But when someone hears your testimony and they see it and they feel it and they experience it in your life, man, it, it, it does something different that it would not if someone just heard it from a stage or a pulpit like this. So if you're a Christian here, brother, sister, have, have you shown other the, others, anyone else, the path to the house by just sharing your, your testimony when Jesus is the hero? Another way to ask that is, is someone more likely to hear about Jesus, uh, how Jesus changed your life, or how like your favorite restaurant changed your life? That one's for me, because I, I'm I'm I can be a stickler with that. And, and you might ask, well, what do, I, what do I share? What do I talk about? Um, like Moses, you can share, uh, <laughs> like, like Moses, you share the things he's, he's sharing. Like, friends, has, has God delivered us from anything? It's a real question. Has he? Yes. Has God freed you from slavery? He's freed us from the kingdom of darkness to serve the living God. Maybe you were caught in a destructive sin habit in which he saved you from, or a, uh, an, a, um, an addiction for 
uh, kind of comparison of body image, or, and now you're freed by the power of God. Has God given you anything valuable? He's given you His promises. He's given you a community. He's given you His eternal hope. He's preparing a place for you. You go on and on and on. And as we read the Exodus story, Christian, I want you to remember you have a better deliverance. You have a, uh, you've been saved from a greater enemy, and you're going to a much better promised land than the Israelites. And so we have a lot uh, to share in our testimony. If you're in Christ, you have so much to share. You have a role, and it's to, to testify just to what God has done in your life. Because, Christian, like Moses, you're, you're, your life is meant to be just a blank canvas for the master painter to paint his gospel masterpiece on. And so, man, will we not hide it from people? That's number two. Um, the third way we show people on the path, third and last way we show people on the path, uh, listen to this. After Moses shares, it says Jethro in verse 9, it says he's rejoicing for all the good that the Lord did. Um, but there's still one more point along the path, and it's in verses 10 and 11. And it's this. It's inviting someone, actually inviting someone to worship the one Savior. So Jethro says, Blessed be the Lord who's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. So I don't know if you caught it. There's a turn here. Jethro makes a confession of faith himself in God. Now I know that the Lord's greater than all gods. This former priest of a foreign religion now acknowledges that Yahweh is the one true God, worthy of his exclusive worship. Uh, Jethro's response is kind of like the Old Testament version of, I was blind, but now I see. I mean, I hope this is encouraging. I, I you know, I have um, family members that don't know Christ, lost family members, and, and many of you do too, and many of you will probably be seeing him soon um, for the holidays, and I hope you find encouragement from this story. You know Moses knew Jethro for like 40 years before this, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I get a little discouraged or hopeless or trying to love people with care and extravagant care or, or sharing a testimony or things like that, and, and nothing happening. And um, I, I hope this story encourages you that God can take a leader of another religion in your family and miraculously convert them to follow God, and uh, even if it's after 40 years of knowing them. Um, so would you never, would, would we never grow weary of ministering to our families, even as we maybe go home and, and spend time with them this holiday? And so to show people the path is, is to boldly and winsome <clears throat> invite them in to worship Jesus to worship Christ above anything else in their life. A little something on the throat there. Here's the thing. I know me, I know you. We don't do this very well, generally. Uh, there's a Barna study that uh, polled millennial practicing Christians, so younger Christians. And the first poll number was this, that 96% of practicing Christians said, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. So most Christians said, I, I should somehow testify witness to Jesus, which is really great. But the next statistic actually said that half of these respondents that just responded that way said it's wrong to share your personal st- beliefs with someone in hopes that they will share the same faith. And so what that's saying there is that half of practicing Christians say, I, 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 it is wrong to, to, to invite people to know Christ, what, what Jethro has been done, or what Moses has invited Jethro to do here, to follow God. Friends, if people think we are friendly and that we have cool stories, but they're not invited to ever follow Jesus themselves, 
they'll still be lost forever. They need to hear what Jesus said in John 17, that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. If we really believe that Jesus is the epitome of vibrancy and joy and hope and life, would we not invite them? If we really believe every soul is, is bound for eternity and Jesus is their one and only hope, would we not invite them in? I, I want to be clear, God's the one that saves people. You're, you're not their savior, but, but one of the things that God has done is he's made you as an identity level an ambassador, an authoritative waypoint along the path to God, just saying, come, invite on God's behalf. Being on the front porch basically saying, come in, Kevin, out of the cold, come and know Christ. And we invite others to follow Christ because we were in the cold ourselves. We were the Kevins that got invited into the family because Jesus welcomed us in by his grace. And we said of love and gratitude for him. So uh, these three points, showing honor and care, sharing your testimony with Jesus as the hero, inviting others to actually follow Jesus. I, I think I talked a lot. Those are really like, um, that can maybe seem a little intangible to you. And so I just want to, I'm going to, in a second, I want to make it as tangible and honestly encouraging as possible for you because he has been doing that among us. And I, and I want you to hear from just two people, a couple people that have experienced these markers along their path to know Jesus and, and now know Jesus um, and that's Cody and Eliza. So I'm going to invite them up. You guys can give them a hand. Um, there you go. Mike for you. Mike for you. And so you guys um, have come into the family of God. You, you came to know Jesus in the last couple of years since I've known you. I've known you both like B.C., before Christ, and yes, A. Yes. Uh, it doesn't work. Anyways, uh, I knew you B.C. After and after Christ. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, how long have you guys been following Jesus now? Uh, I started coming to RCC in 2021, early 2021, and I ended up getting baptized December 5th of last year. Wow, that's awesome. That's incredible. That's what I'm talking about. Love that. What about you, Eliza? Um, I started following Christ January 2021 also, and we kind of had the privilege of being in Iman and Hannah's group at the time, so kind of two baby Christians getting to... Yeah. Navigate RCC was actually a really sweet time. Yeah. That's so awesome. Is your mic on, by the way? Did you get you? No, I don't know. Okay. Let me get you another one. We can pass. Let's try this one. We can pass. Or you can, yeah, you we can, can share. pass it. Let's do that. Yeah, we can share. So, um, Cody, I'd love for, just to hear from you, man. What did you see in, in God's people or uh, from Christians that really actually started to draw you to uh, God in the first place or, or show up to church or any, anything like that? Kind of started your journey yeah. on the path um, in a sense. To answer that question, I think it's kind of important to understand where I was beforehand. Yeah. And that was never grew up going to the church. Uh, mm-hmm. I had all these ideas about what church was, um, church hate. Uh, if you didn't fit into what their beliefs were, you were looked down upon, you didn't fit in, you weren't good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, then I met a lovely young lady, not the one on the stage. There was a misconception in the first service, so yeah. sorry about that. Um, she is a beautiful young lady. Yeah. Um, and that's how I found my way to the church. So it was this yeah. beautiful young woman and um, found my way in. And immediately after that, God took that girl away. So I had a want, and he showed me what I truly needed, which was this community. Mm. Um, just having, you know, everyone has set foot in RCC for the first time. And Adam already alluded to it a little bit earlier of there is extreme intentionality in this group. You are sought out, you are seeked, and mm-hmm. almost, and I quite frankly was uncomfortable because I had conversations with people of this church that I hadn't had with my family or what I would call my closest friends before. 
So having this community seek that out for me was something I needed in a time when I did not want it. Um, but yeah, I mean, this community was everything for me seeking Jesus. Wow, that's incredible, man. Uh, Eliza, we talked a little bit about how Jesus wants to use other Christians like, to show care and honor, to, to invite them really to know Christ. Like, how did you experience that care and honor that we've kind of been talking about today through the church? his people. Yeah, I, I think in the sermon text it's listed as this extravagant care and honor, um, yeah. and I think that's like a scary word, um, yeah. at least it is for me, and so yeah. I think Christians often we get in our heads and we get in our own way, um, mm. and I think the most memorable experience for me before coming to Christ was an encounter with a superhuman um, genuine, but super <laughs> besides, besides that, like, I love that we're in Exodus right now because it's a group of ordinary Christians who continue to trip up and fall and make mistakes, and mm. I think we look at Israelites and we're like, how, like, how, why are they making the same mistakes over and over, but, like, there's such an example of, of ordinary Christians, and that's who we are, and so I think of October in 2020, I went to the Cordero's gospel community, and I was not a Christian. I was like, why am I here? Who are these people? It's kind of weird. Um, Genuine cornered me, and we just talked for like 30 minutes, and I had never felt so yeah. seen um, or just cared for in that moment where I didn't know anybody else in a room. Yeah. Um, and then four or five months later, when I started coming to RCC, she was the first person to come up to me, and she was like, I remember who you are. Like, I remember the conversation we had. And so I think sometimes as Christians, we think we need to make these really mm. elaborate or extravagant um, leaps and bounds for people. And that's true. We should we should serve the people um, yeah. who are outside of us. But also, like, it's as simple as just a conversation or sitting next to someone you don't know yeah. on a Sunday. That's and good. it's so impactful. Um, and I think we just, yeah, get in our own heads about it of, like, are we doing enough? But it's just these baby steps. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good nuance to that point. Because I think I think what you experience is, in a way, it's extravagant, but, but in a way, it's very ordinary, mm -hmm. too. Um, not, not that it requires a professional or a superhuman like Jin Yoon, although, yeah, any of us can, can do with intentionality. That's really good. Yeah. Um, Cody, we were talking about just sharing your testimony yeah. and hearing that from other people. Like, one of the paths along is, like, just hearing people's stories about how they came to met, uh, came to met Jesus or, or how Jesus changed their life. Did you hear that from anybody? And, and if so, how did that go? I think I heard that from everybody. Um, <laughs> no, again, everybody. just going back to beliefs prior to Christ of, I thought being a churchgoer, a church member was this cookie cutter, you had to fit a certain, uh, certain shape. Yeah. And testimonies absolutely broke that. And it's, I'm sure, like many of you, one of my favorite things is hearing people's testimonies and also retelling my own, because I've never told it the same two different times. Mm. And yeah. it's cool it's to good. see my own perspective on my own testimony, along with hearing others share theirs, of just the extreme vulnerability, trans. Transparency, yeah, yeah. Yep, you got it. That's good. Transparency? That's yep. the word we were Nailed looking it. for. Um, but no, just these genuine conversations. Again, having these conversations with people that I'm just meeting compared to the, you know, not old people in my old life, but people yeah. from a prior life to Jesus. Um, yeah, testimonies are just so powerful and not being afraid to share where you are because truth be told, we should be the first people to say we're at the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I love your focus on vulnerability there, and it's such a good story. Yeah, that's why we say, like, sharing your testimony with Jesus is the hero, because sharing your story is not, like, about, I was awesome, I went to church, I believe this, I did this study. It's really about how broken I was and how Jesus has redeemed us is really what that is, and it's an opportunity for us to be really vulnerable with our life. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Eliza, the last thing I, I just shared was just actually hearing an invitation to, to follow Jesus. How, how did that happen for you? How did you actually hear an invitation to start following Christ? Yeah, um, 
so I had a mentor in college who was a Christian. I was not. He, I, my biggest barrier to following Christ was sort of this intellectual struggle that I had. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it was like, can I even understand that Jesus was a real person, mm -hmm. irregardless of all these other things that he did? And so he, I like to read a lot of books, but he was like, you keep going to all these places to learn about Jesus without ever going to the source of where Jesus says who he is. And mm -hmm. so he was like, start with the Gospel of Mark, it's the shortest one, so if you hate it, it's over real fast. Um, I got <laughs> yeah. through Mark, didn't didn't love it, um, but then I went to Matthew, and that's where I really mm. like fell in love with who Jesus was when I read about the parable of the lost sheep. And so, mm. since then, um, like as you were saying, like Jesus, the, God is the one who saves you, but God's people play a really pivotal role in that. And yeah. so, what p God's people were doing at the time, where they were, here's the the peas, but um, let's go. They're patient and they were proximal to me. So people were patient in answering my questions mm. or my struggles. I mm. think of Iman when we talked about Ananias and Sapphira, like just dying in acts. And I was like, what is happening? Like, yeah. I yeah. like think yeah. of Shelby in our just months of discipleship. Mm -hmm. I think of you and yeah. the countless like walks and conversations mm -hmm. we had around mm -hmm. baptism and membership and these mm -hmm. other really hard things I mm -hmm. grappled with. Grasp, grappled with. Um, and then like proximal, like people just open their homes to me. Like my yeah. family's not here. Um, and I always viewed community as sort of this like transactional thing. Um, and God's people really turn that on their heads. I have like eight people's house keys and door codes now. I just like, yeah, they come yeah. home to just me sitting on their couch. But I think it's just these small acts of, of opening the door to people and, and mm. like not just saying, oh, I'm here for you, but like really being close to people is yeah. largely impactful too. So good. I love that. Um, yeah, you preach over here with the peas, and yeah, you guys are, yeah, I love it. Um, man, you guys are such an encouragement. If you got to know these two, some of you have, like, um, in, in their journey, God is miraculously, and still is, miraculously changing them, and now they are showing other people on the path, sharing their story, uh, loving, caring, and honoring, leading a gospel community, uh, like, loving their, uh, just loving their friends around them, and so, um, man, we are, uh, he actually married the girl that he talked about, so that, that's a thing. Uh, that's America. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Sorry. So thank you for sharing your stories, and I, and I hope you guys hear that this is this can be t like what what you heard was that God is using even she even mentioned and they mentioned some people just in this room like God can use every one of you to usher people on the path to Jesus, and so um, thanks for just showing that. I was just encouraged just hearing from you guys. So give him a round of applause, guys. Thank you. Um, he's singing that guy. So I got a second point. Don't worry, it's a lot shorter <laughs> as Michael looks at the clock. Um, so we usher, we're, part of the thing we're doing is we share the work by ushering people along the path, but point two that we're going to see in the second half of 18 from the story of Jethro is that we are meant to share the work inside the house to create that warm picture that we talked about. Listen to um, the text. Jethro goes from being a convert to a, like an expert advice giver. Exodus 18 Verses 13 to 16, listen to this. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire about God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. Okay, what's happening here? Moses is a one-man leadership show. The org chart is Moses and then like over a million people on tier two. That's the org chart. 
This means from every day, from sunrise to sunset, Moses is just swamped with work, just playing like whack-a-mole as fast as he can. In short, he's trying to do too much. He, he was trying to serve as like the theologian, the court system, the police, the DMV, and like Maury from Maury Povich show, like trying to do all the drama, right? And, and Jethro watches Moses and he's like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you trying to act like the lone desk worker with like a million people in line at the DMV? That is not going to work out well for anybody. And, and, what, and let's look at Moses' answer. He actually says what I think a lot of tired and, peop, and burned out people, and especially leaders, say. He says, I just, there's so many urgent needs. The people need me. I can't say no. And then secondly, I think he says, I'm the only one that can, that can meet their need. I'm the one with the knowledge, the spirituality, the skill to fix all these problems. And so everything needs to come to me. And I, but I feel kind of stuck. And maybe you felt that way. I can sympathize with, with feeling this way. And I love how Jethro responds. He just says boldly, the father-in-law, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will weigh yourselves out, certainly, and the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So Jethro's just like, dude, this is a terrible idea. Why? Why does he say that? He says, you and the people are going to experience burnout. And notice this is really important. It's not just Moses that will get burnout, but it's also the people. And so sometimes as leaders, if you've been in leadership in any way, you can think, man, I will just keep giving and sacrificing so that the people will flourish. Maybe I'll burn out, but the other people will do okay. And he's actually saying, actually, the people you're serving will, uh, will be burnt out. If everything relies on you, uh, you'll discourage and burn out the people you're serving. And I know this, I've experienced this. Uh, some of you that have, have loved me for a long time are probably like amening right now because you've seen that for me at times, right? And, and I love this because the, the new worshiper of God gives Moses, this top spiritual leader, this wise advice. Listen to his advice. Father-in-law again, obey my voice. I will give you advice. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And moreover, look, at, look for able men from all the people Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they'll bring to you, but any small matter they'll decide themselves. So basically, Jethro says, dude, change up the org chart. Raise up capable leaders under you who actually have responsibility and authority to lead and make decisions and only take the most important things for you. He basically says, share the load. It's too heavy for you. So being a healthy leader is not primarily being a ferocious doer of task, but a faithful equipper of others. Fred Smith says, a leader is not a person who can do the work better than others. He's a person that can get others to do the work better than he can or she can. And Jethro says, this is so important because I love what he says in verse 22 and 23. He says, so it will be easier for you and they'll bear the burden with you. And if you do this, God will direct you, and you'll be able to endure. And man, in a world today where we have a, where we have a lot of flash-in-the-pan, burnout leaders, we need leaders that can endure for decades. And in a culture of just anxiety and stress, we need people that can be at peace and at rest, like the people here. So uh, we're, we're not the same context as Israel. Um, this isn't a one-to-one dynamic. Uh, this isn't apples and apples, but I, I want to give you three ways in which this plays out in our church practically here, and we'll end on this. First, first is plurality of pastors. Plurality means multiple. Since the beginning, our church has not just had one pastor. We haven't had a Moses like standing at the top of the org chart with all the authority and decision-making, but our church has shared the work of teaching, 
shepherding, oversight, counseling. And there's a lot of spiritual safety here. Our weaknesses are better balanced out. Like, uh, like for me, uh, you would not want Pastor Adam Wilson over the finances or over like the, eleva- the elevator construction, right? That's Pastor Bill. Like if I was over the elevator, it would probably be another three years until that sucker got done, right? But thankfully, Bill is over it and it will be done soon-ish, uh, Lord willing. Um, you're not going to hear a pastor come up into, here and say, I'm the senior pastor. I'm at the top of the totem pole. There, there's no varsity and JV pastors. We're all, sta- all staff or lay pastors, paid and unpaid, are, are one of the pastors. Our senior pastor role is already taken, and his name is Jesus. And he's the chief shepherd, and he's, by the way, the only pastor that will never actually let you down. Secondly, it means we have delegated leadership, kind of like Jethro here. We have, says, we have our, le- our leaders of thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens. Those are our staff team, our, our deacons, our residents, our, our gospel community leaders, our ministry team leads. They're, they're delegated a degree of authority and a degree of responsibility to share the load so we'll all flourish. The, the work that we have to do, friends, is too important and the work is too heavy to be left to just a few pastors and practically what this means is that oftentimes if you're looking to grow or to get connected or to get equipped or um, to get involved, it, it means a lot of times you'll get sent to someone that's not a pastor. And, and we don't want you to be discouraged by that because personally I would love to, to meet with every one of you. But what I want you to do is see the beauty in that, that God has designed his people to flourish under that design of delegated authority and leadership. And so the, and the third and last one is we have an every member ministry mentality. The pastor's main role, uh, of us, us three pastors' main role is to do what Jethro is saying here. Basically, the New Testament version is Ephesians 4. It says the pastors are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the building up of the body. So the pastors are to equip the saints, you, Christian. And um, ministry is really hard and burdensome work. And you know why? Uh, because you're here. <laughs> and because I'm here. Um, we, we, our growth in Christ intersected with, in God's sanctification of our holy, and our messiness of our lives takes hard work of other people. And so a healthy house has an every member ministry mentality. And so, brother and sister, this, this is more than just a task. It's an identity that God's given you. And 1 Peter 2, and what we'll actually see in Exodus 19 as well, is that you are a, a priest, you're a minister. Um, 1 Peter 2 says, you yourselves, church, are, are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What that means is every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is like a mini pastor. Don't, I'm not, uh, let me be careful with that, but you're, you're a minister of the gospel, and it's your identity in Jesus. And friends, the most important work you will do, the most important ministry work doesn't come with a leadership title. You, you can pray for a hurting person. You can minister to someone with a meal and prayer after they've had a loss or a miscarriage. You can teach someone to walk with Jesus for the first time. Just opening your Bible or going through Foundations, uh, a book to help new Christians. Every minister is meant to have a ministry. And my question to you is, is what is yours? And oftentimes I think we can overthink this uh, and say, well, what program or what is there for me or what opportunity do I need to kind of figure out? But really, I just think you should start by asking, just say, what is, what is my gift? What is, what is the passion and gift that God has given me? Do you have the gift of mercy? Do you love just loving those that are, over, that are just, that get overlooked? Then go love the poor. Go, go love the refugee. You don't, you, there are opportunities for us to help you do that, but just, just, you can go do it on your own too. Is your gift hospitality? Man, just get some people up in your house and love, uh, love them deeply. 
Is your gift teaching? Go, go find somebody to teach the Bible. Um, sit down with someone at a coffee shop and teach them the Bible. You don't have to wait for a speaking invitation. But if you're in Christ, God's made you uniquely. He's given you a unique opportunity in this time, this place, this people, this city, this area, that the gospel is not as clear, and we as a church are weaker without if you're not using the gifts God's given you. And so as we close, I want to kind of give you a challenge. I hope what you've heard today is that if you're a Christian, you have a part to play in this beautiful, warm family picture that God is creating, inviting in the, and caring for the orphan, inviting in the outsider, creating a place, a warm family environment of transformative change with Jesus at the center. And if you're a Christian here and you're not contributing, you can be passively, maybe unintentionally, but passively contributing to burden and burnout in the church. We, we need you. And more importantly, uh, you're not living out the identity that God has given you. And so, uh, man, as leaders in the church, we're really committed to giving you guys avenues to get plugged in, to be equipped, to use your gifts. And so there are tons of ways to do that. And you have a half seat. Um, every one of you has a half sheet on your seat. And I'm going to tell you how I'm going to invite you to respond in a minute uh, of just some different ways in which you can respond and say, hey, I want to I take a role in, in the house. I want to help share the ministry in the house or help invite others in. And the main takeaway I hope you heard is that God wants to invite you into his beautiful ministry, his beautiful household work, displaying the manifold wisdom of God. And as you look at this, there, there are different areas, there are a couple different areas you can respond. If, if, if you are um, someone that's already serving, I actually would love for you to go ahead and even just fill out, hey, here's what I'm already serving. I don't, I'm not asking you to necessarily do anything else, but just to say, hey, I'm already serving here and thank you for doing that. Um, if you want to serve in bringing, uh, serving people in our city, outside of our church, there's a serve your city option there. There are lots of things to do inside of our church. And for you, like, don't put me in a box, people. There's an other category for you, um, which I love because um, there are lots of different ways for you to minister that are not listed here. You can go uh, have neighbors over for dinner. You can start discipling someone. You can uh, just commit to say, I want to start taking one of my kids through the Bible. There's lots of things you can do there. And then on the bottom too, there's, there's um, Jethro talks about actually raising up leaders. And that's one thing we are passionate, passionate, passionate about here at our church. And so if you're here and you're like, man, I would love to think about leading um, a gospel community at one stage, or, or a serve team, or I'm interested in just being a leader in the church, and I want to look at doing RCC Institute, you can check one of those boxes as well. So during our communion prep time, we're going to give you time to look at this and prayerfully respond to this, and there'll be a basket here for you to place those in as we come up for communion. But let me end on this. You, friend, you are safe in Christ. There's nothing for you to check on this box that will make Jesus love you more or us love you more. There's complete safety in Christ. This, this does not make us more um, lovable to the Father. He has already loved us to the furthest extent he could. And so the only way to mark one of these boxes is just out of gratitude and love for God's plan and, and, and gratitude for what he's done in my life, I want to serve him. Um, and that's your motivation. You don't need to check anything. You are completely safe. I want you to know that um, as you're thinking about this. Um, we, we want this to be something that is for you, but not something we want from you. And if you're, lastly, if you're here and you're not a Christian, um, you can just put, the, the only thing we would want you to consider is just following Jesus. Jesus says that I am the door. The place into the house is only through one person, it's through Jesus. And we want you to pursue, to know, and to walk with Jesus. That's our greatest heart for you. And so if that's you, um, 
come up and talk to one of us, or just put Jesus in the other category there, and uh, man, we would love to follow you about how to do that. So, um, man, friends, let's, let's thank God, because he is doing something special. He's leading others in outside um, to the house, uh, and he's helping us share the word together so we can have a, a beautiful family picture, messy family transforming picture here in the house. Let's pray and thank him for that. Father, we praise you that you did not leave us in the cold, even though we deserve to be. God, apart from you, we were your enemies. We were deserving of wrath. Um, And you loved your enemies by shedding your blood, laying down your life, and inviting us into your family. We were the orphans that are now in a family. We were the Jethro's that, that worshiped everything but you. And God, you have now invited us in to be transformed and to actually get to the privilege, the beauty of getting to do the same to others. And so, God, we just thank you that that you've taken us on that path, that you've loved us so deeply. And so, God, I, I pray that we would be equipped to see regular, a regular stream of Jethro's coming into uh, the house, the church, and not just even RCC, but man, just churches in the city. Would, would you help us be faithful to invite people to know Jesus? And God, would you, the, the, the Savior, do the, the miraculous work of salvation that we know we cannot do? And God, I pray that you would that we would be able to embark on, to share the load of ministry, not as a burden, not as something that is just a task to do, but out of the, the beauty and joy of getting to experience the gifts you've given these people. God, I pray that we would be a, a church that resembles Christ, that resembles your good news, um, that tangibly puts uh, meat on the gospel bones for people here in this city, that they would be invited in to know you. Uh, in Christ's name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. To find other messages or get more information about Redemption City Church, visit us online at rccbaltimore.org. Thank you for listening to the Redemption City Church podcast.